Hello and welcome to The M Word, a podcast featuring two people who work in mental health, who want to share knowledge, experiences, stories, ideas and debates to the rest of the world. If you like what we have to say, want to give us feedback or generate discussion points, please give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at that underscore M underscore word. Hello and welcome back to That M Word with me Beth. And me Dan. First of all, we just wanted to say a massive thank you to everybody who has liked, followed us, given us any feedback, listened to our first episode. Um, We really appreciate it. We're really grateful and we just want to encourage you to keep on doing that. Um, So without further ado, let's get on with episode two. (laughs) Episode two, let's go for it. So what's our theme this week? We are looking at attachment this week. Um, This is something that we are both passionate about, both think needs a lot of more um, attention. Attention, perfect. And okay, so the structure that we're kind of aiming for today is to go through a little bit of theory with you, talk about um, our own experiences, both personal and professional, and then going through some of your uh, recent feedbacks that you've given us, talking through some of your discussions. Um, and kind of just back and forth and our opinions on that really. So, um, yeah, stay tuned for something. Episode two, beginning there. Okay, so should we go into stages, theory? Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to bore you too much with the stages and theory, but I think it's just important for everyone to know that the four main attachment styles are as followed. So, one that most and hopefully all are not, unfortunately, um, attachment style is secure. So this is the style of attachment in which people trust their caregivers, their partners, friends. They like to share their feelings. They'll provide and receive support and comfort whilst enjoying their relationships. So their anxiety and avoidance of relationships with other people is extremely low. Then we move on to preoccupation. Sorry, sorry, Dan. Yeah. Just uh, throwing that one. That one's like the most positive and... Yeah, you see a absolutely. lot of children like comfortable with exploration and able to kind of leave their caregiver but trust and know that they are there for Yeah, them. absolutely, that's it. And again, we'll probably look at how children show secure attachment and the others and then how adults do because it's very different, but it all stems from the same wavelength of thinking. So um, the next one is um, anxious or ambivalent, depending on which one you Google or research so this one is where avoidance is low but there's an extremely high anxiety so the attachment is where people want the closeness from someone want that security but they're worried that their partners will abandon them may leave them or will only give them a small amount of care and then disappear and the next one is dismissive avoidance so this is where they tend to view partners as unreliable unavailable and uncaring so the anxiety is low but the avoidance is high and then the last one which is something I've actually personally dealt with both professionally and personally is um, disorganized attachment also known as fearful avoidant so this is where people have low opinions of themselves and keep from others from getting close so it's high anxiety and avoidance and I think that's one we'll probably touch on a little bit more than the rest just because it's becoming quite a prevalent one I think yeah. especially in schools yeah. I've seen it becoming more of an issue as and I think, unfortunately, that's probably one of the more difficult ones to deal with because, obviously, the way different individual, individuals are 
affects hugely and differs hugely. So a lot of adults don't know how to actually react and engage with that kind of attachment style. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it kind of almost comes out as the quote-unquote naughty child. Yeah. That's what a lot of people think it is when or they're trying to push boundaries or push people away. And it's not because they want to be that way. It's because they think that if they get themselves into trouble or push someone away that they're not going to have that promise of love and care and then it's going to break and lose again so I think a lot of children have started doing that and it's a shame and but yeah we'll touch on that more and did you want to look at in how it and when it comes into play yeah so um attachment style basically a lot of people are under the impression that it is only relevant for those between birth and about three years old and that's it's logical it's a logical assumption because of that's our biggest growth period as humans but however attachment will stay with you for the rest of your life and we're going to get into a bit of an opinion and as to whether or not attachment style may differ um as you get older and learn to create relationships um but yeah so basically the idea of attachment it's it's logical to assume only depends on children but it it does have definite stead with growing older um so where it comes from attachment comes from the fact that as babies humans we are born with four main types of emotion and thinking of um inside out you've got joy fear anger and sadness just gonna put a pin in disgust for a second but those (laughs) those four emotions are the ones that carry us through and we depend on for survival so for example a baby's hungry it's gonna know to cry he wants positive attention it's gonna coo gargle what whatever babies do um (laughs) stress and trauma are huge huge influences when dealing with attachment style so obviously the more stress or trauma a baby is like um susceptible to is going to have an unfortunate knock-on effect within their later life and this is why so many parenting people will say make sure your babies are constantly under like positive experience and has it knows that you're there and all of that because it is it's very important um i think it's quite hard as well like i know people say that and it can be easier said than done you know we're not expecting every parent to be superman and praise their child and be positive with the child every single second of the day because that's you know neon impossible they need to learn yeah. boundaries and respect but it's definitely about showing them that once you know you've had that telling off or you've you know you have had to go out or anything like that that you will come back and it's that reassurance that's the important part and it's it's all well and good shouting at a child but if if they don't actually understand what it is they've done like you're not going to have got anywhere with them you're no further forward you've just put the fear of god into them absolutely i mean something that we've started doing well i did at schools is instead of telling them off for what they didn't do praising them for what they did do yeah. and then telling them that maybe next time they could look to correct a certain yeah. behavior or next time be a, a, you know aware of something else they did but making sure that they 
understand that they've actually done something good, even though there's you know a few things they could change. It's better to have positive yeah reinforcement than negative. Yeah, hundred percent. Um. So where do we go next? Okay, guys, so now we're going to kind of look at what secure attachment looks like in children and adults and the signs that you'd be looking for. In children, it's actually quite interesting. When you've got a toddler wandering around, playing with toys, but kind of out of arm's reach of their parent, that's what secure attachment is. That's them feeling safe enough to go and explore, go and play, whilst knowing that their caregiver, parent, grandparent, whoever that may be, is not too far away. They're in close proximity, but enough whether they can go on an adventure in themselves so that's what secure attachment would look like i think as well it's important to recognize with this one that if you've got a child who is taken out of the way of their primary caregiver and maybe a secondary or even external caregiver is in comes into play like this is where the child may need a little bit of reassurance see that they are a safe person. They need that from their primary caregiver um, to be able to integrate into normal behaviour. Yeah. And I think once the child has got a secure attachment in one person, they find it easy to do it with more people. So when they do have to go around to other people's places or they have mm. to go to school, they have that almost confidence to make and form a new relationships. But when their main caregiver comes back, that's when they'll be at their peak, really. You'll yeah. see their almost highest and most positive side towards them. It's like when you see a mother or a father going to pick up their baby after they've not seen them for a while. You see the beaming smiles on the face. It's the same when a child's come from nursery or yeah, primary school. school like... Yeah, and they run straight to the parents. Big beaming smile, big hugs. But they haven't stressed out throughout the day. It's not been something that's cause them anxiety they've just gone with what they're doing but yeah. then once they see their caregiver they're straight back to that full-on happiness that beaming positivity yeah um so if we look at anxious ambivalent this one's quite an interesting one so you almost look at this especially with children and in primary schools as the quote-unquote needy child yeah is what i'd call it they want the attachment they want the care and the love and support of someone but they struggle with it and they're worried that they won't be reciprocated in the love that they want. So you'll get a lot of the almost poking and prodding and asking for attention, but almost with the, I hope I'm not bothering you, or they try it a few times, but then we'll probably stop and just carry on with what they're doing. But deep down, they actually want yeah that attachment. Um, anxious ambivalence one is quite a tough one to actually clock straight away because sometimes again it does just appear as the needy annoying, annoying. behavior but sometimes we need to realize especially as the adults working with these children or even you know raising our own children that if they're feeling a little bit needy or need that reassurance we need to reassure them as as long as we actually are going yeah. to be there it's not worth lying to them because that will just actually make their attachment issues worse if you tell a child that you're going to be back shortly or you're going somewhere and then don't come back that's another broken promise to them and then that's yeah. another reason that they re think no one's going to come back for them. And I think for these, this type of attachment, it's very, very clear that they rely heavily on the emotion and that emotional side of people and they like to keep their safe people close 
they they need to know where people are at all times. You may have experiences within relationships that people need to know kind of where you are, what time you'll be coming back. And it feels like you're constantly being watched. But nine times out of ten, that's not what it is. It's it's a more of a case of they need to know for their own sanity. Yeah, absolutely. So if we move on to dismissive avoidance, this is one where again children of all ages they kind of almost look like the lone ranger or the independent child sometimes that is secure attachment and this is where i think the mix-up becomes quite hard to find and the lines quite hard to see but with dismissive you've got this child who's just completely trying to avoid you they don't want the support and love because they they've already been let down so they see everyone as un- unreliable unavailable and uncaring so they will avoid you as much as they possibly can there's not really much anxiety there because they've kind of just gotten used to yeah. that oh well that just happens again you know i've been let down as per usual so in now they just start pushing people away and not giving them a chance yeah i think that one comes up a lot more as you get older I yeah think people start to see that more in relationships especially but that's that's dismissive avoidant, and I think that one again is one that gets missed a lot. Yeah. Again, it comes off as you're grumpy or you're a bit negative. Of a, yeah, but again, it's just people reacting to that consistent been letting down. But the difference to anxious ambivalent is they don't I want that support anymore. They've yeah. just written everyone off as they a bad kind person. of get it in their heads that if they want a job doing, it's better to do it themselves, or it's easier to just get on with it myself and we will talk about past experiences but that's that's probably my most um obvious uh, attachment trait I think yeah um and I think I mean I'm definitely in that dismissing avoidant but I think the one that I kind of fell into is disorganized attachment also known as fearful avoidant so this is obviously the one where people have low opinions of themselves and keep from others getting close so they want that love but they feel they're not good enough and in a way in a way to stop not being good enough and to stop letting people down in their own heads they push people away and avoid them and i think that's that's it's a really hard one to deal with and especially to try and get someone out of um, and i know we'll talk, talk about this shortly but i actually worked with a very young man who had disorganized attachment and tests just test after tests yeah and you think one day you get in there and then the next day now you've been pushed away again you're like five steps back from where you are it literally is and you've just got to it's that resilience and I think that's something else as the caregiver that you need is resilience you need to understand if they haven't got a secure attachment you are going to be working with barriers and you're going to have to try and be patient and get over them yeah so I think that's something that's really important to talk about I think with disorganized attachment just highlighting quickly that you have to take the personal emotion out of the situation. Absolutely. This, you know, this child isn't angry potentially with you as a person or is pushing you away as a person, that they have no survival strategy and they are just acting how they feel in that moment. And this is why sometimes you could go from being a child's bestest friend in the whole world to them hating your every every cell in your body and we've both suffered with that really yeah. haven't we? from children we've worked with and again taking the emotional hat off is really hard and for the first few weeks i think both of us 
when this happened to us couldn't it wasn't something yeah. you could do because you know you're there to work with these children you do care that's kind of the reason why you're, you're in the, the job. job but taking your emotional hat off on that one aspect is something that needs to be worked with and yeah. maybe that's when you need to talk to supervisors um clinicians or to even you know just give your friends a holler even talk to us that's what we're here for that's what yeah. we're kind of doing this um because we've done it we've managed it together but it is it's such a painful one to go through if you don't know what's going on or you're not expecting yeah the backlash and I mean secure attachment in schools is great and you know I don't want to not talk about that much but secure attachment's a good thing and I think a lot of people know what that looks yeah. like you know but I want we want to kind of raise awareness on the other three and especially disorganized because that's the one that's kind of been highlighted a lot recently yeah but gets missed under the radar and gets classed as naughty child again I think per, just from personal experience, attachment theory as a whole is quite a touchy subject within training. It's a difficult one and it's one that schools want to look at, but in practice it's it's something that is easily looked over and easily missed. It's something that I found. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think by the end of this, we'll try and give some tips and ideas for, you know, especially teachers yeah um and parents but you know the teachers who have kids of 30 in their class they can still do small things that can build yeah. that attachment to the child that isn't you know securely attached and that's, and we'll look at secondary attachments because that again is something I'm extremely passionate about and yeah I've definitely felt like I've become myself to a certain amount of pupils as the years have gone by so yeah, um, I think for now, Beth, do you want to kind of talk about our personal experiences and our attachments and how that's kind of become our personal traits as the years have gone by? Yeah, so I think um, just on a... Yeah, so I think on a personal level, coming from my life story and how I've come to realise through training, through CPD, that... I actually have difficulty within attachment um looking through my life and everything I am under the impression that as soon as maternity leave finished for my mum um I was straight into nursery so straight away I already had difficulty with with attachment because the primary caregiver was now somebody that was I wasn't really seen on a day-to-day life um, as much as, you know, some people would like it to be. Um, and I was now thrown into a bunch of strangers' arms with lots of different children. And don't get me wrong, nursery is a fantastic experience for babies. Uh, but this was something that was to be aware of because of how young I was and it was straight up until the age of four. Mm. Um, and then I always remember Stein School and being told that I would not leave my first teacher alone. I was constantly trying to find a hand, hold a hand, follow her around. And I must have been the most irritating child to have worked with for a good couple of years. See, there you go. But you've said it's irritating child. But as a professional now, you know that that's not irritants. So you actually just not having a secure attachment yeah. and seeking that security. Yeah. Um, and then getting older... I very much learned to look after myself, crack on with things myself, um, struggle trusting people, 
in terms of relationships, professionally, anything, just from asking someone directions and thinking, are you telling me the right way? Mm, (laughs) Um, (laughs) So it was very interesting when I sat down for my training because a lot of the stuff that was being reeled off towards the more, I think it's fair to say, negative styles of attachment were things that fit into my personality. Um, And obviously talking with you, Dan, that, it is clear that I do have difficulty trusting people and letting people in and believing you when you're saying that you'll be there for me and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and kind of on that, again, my story, you know, I um, I was fine for the first few years. You know, I had, I had a mother and a father. I don't really remember much of that time. Um, I think my mum used to work quite a lot, so again, similar to you, was in care a lot with, or with grandparents, really. Um, yeah. And then, obviously, dad, dad number one did a bit of domestic abuse, and we had to leave. Um, so that was, you know, father, figure, caregiver, kind taken of away taken from away me. from me at a young age. Luckily, I was raised by my grandfather, as I said in my last one, but... Um, as I said before, he passed away when I was still very young, so that was another person yeah. taken away from me. And then issues with another father figure down the line also, again, kind of put me back into that, well, I'm just going to keep losing people or I'm going to keep being let down. So I, I've definitely realised over my when I was working on my course at university that I'm very much in the disorganised, fearful, avoidant attachment styles. And I, you know, I had a very low opinion of myself I believe that people didn't want to be close to me, so I'd start pushing them away. Or if yeah. someone did show a bit of interest or shown care, I'd find some reason in myself that you I was going to ruin this, yeah. and it would probably go down, you know, go down the drain. And um, it's been that way since high school, really. Especially remembering that I used to push a lot of people away, um, or I used to. Well, actually, I think I kind of was at one point was very much anxious, ambivalent. When I was especially in high school, before things sort of started happening with my second dad, um, I did very much kind of want the closeness from people and I used to latch on to people if they showed me a bit of interest. Yeah. But still had that fear of abandonment. As the years went by, um, I just started thinking that I wasn't good enough for anyone. I wasn't good enough for myself. And so I just started going, well, I'm going to push people away because they'll do it before. Yeah. I can, so yeah. if I can do it before them, jokes on them, that's them feeling the suffering, not me this time. And I think it's just important to quickly highlight that we've said here that we touch upon different characteristics of attachment, and that is because the the way attachment works is, a, is like a bit of a sliding scale. Absolutely. So, you know, you can have one potentially secure type child that may dip into other characteristics um and you know that's context of life really yeah you, you grow differently you experience new things and you know your attachment is is gonna potentially change this is something that we want to discuss later on but that's something you also needs to be aware of yeah and like I said obviously mine has flip-flopped I went from anxious and ambivalent to disorganized and I'd say recently, obviously since meeting you, uh, you know, I'd say I've got a security with you. I think it also differs from person to person. Yeah. You've got a sort of 
overarching attachment style. So in my instance, I'd probably still say disorganized. But then with particular people, you know that it's a secure attachment. There still might be niggles and you might get that occasional, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. Yeah. Know, and we've discussed that. But you know deeper down that you've actually got a secure attachment and that and you know we share feelings and we do receive the support from each other and I think that's you know something as you get older and you've got the understanding maybe you've done the training or you you know speak to people listen to this podcast you you start to understand that you can have a variety of different attachments and you can still change it it's hard don't get me wrong but I think you know when you've got the right people around you you've got the right mental aspects yeah. you know your right attitude and you can sit and reflect on yourself you can if you need to change it and yeah. again self reflection is another tough one that I think people try to avoid or find it difficult to do because you know talking about yourself or realising that there's something wrong is a really hard thing to do so a lot of people just brush it away especially out loud as well you know it's easier to admit that you've got something that might be niggling you in terms of a personality quirk but to actually admit that out loud is is tough absolutely and i mean internalizing is something that i know you've struggled with before you spoke to me about it so if you want to kind of talk about internalizing thoughts feelings um in terms of that i think it's again down to my attachment that it's easier for me to cope with it so um just talking about having these thoughts and feelings I tend to wait until a very very last resort to ask for help even if it's from something that's really insignificant um just because to me it's I suppose an easier way to with things um and I have to go through that personal process of understanding any situation uh, be it good or bad before I can then talk out loud about it yeah and I think that you know that's something that again you've reflected on and we understand as a you know as an item but I think expressing that to teachers and friends and peers is a completely different story because I know obviously you may have had to go through ups and downs to realize that because whereas you internalize I externalize yeah. so I will avidly shout out that I'm not good enough or I'm upset about this and and then kind of go well that's okay you're probably going to leave me now because of it and yeah we're we're past that but that's how it works so again I think if you've got a child who you know speaks their mind run with it talk to them about it query it and especially instead of going oh you're this you could go I wonder what's made you feel that way and definitely almost explore it with that child yeah with internalizing if you know your child well enough and you can see something's not right or that you know something's ticking in their head sit them down and ask them or just almost show that support because for a lot of children initially if you just go i'm here for if you want to talk might That's take not them a day, yeah but they might come back it might not be enough yeah but sometimes if you just keep reminding them eventually they'll take the hint and go okay maybe this person's actually gonna yeah. sit and listen to me sometimes children just want an ear to talk to yeah sometimes saying nothing at all is the best thing I I think from what I found in my recent uh, job was just before addressing any kind of um thoughts in terms of 
worrying if if something was okay with them or if something was affecting them just to get that anxiety as low as possible yeah. um so if they're in a in a particular situation or environment that's causing them additional anxiety but you know that they're not going to say i'm sat next to so and so and he's calling me names for example take them out of that situation get them back to a, a calm relaxed state and then discuss rather than trying to jump straight in getting nowhere and then thinking oh okay they're just grumpy today yeah absolutely and that's very similar to some of the you know young people i've worked with them obviously we're going to avoid name drops and safeguarding reasons and all that but um so one of the first jobs i actually ever did was with a child with attachment disorder and they were very much um the dismissive avoidant they kind of just believed everyone was unreliable and available and caring. You know, they'd been through the care system numerous amount of times. Um, and I kind of came in and didn't have much idea how it worked. Yeah. But, I, you know, I just did what I thought was natural and, you know, carried on being there for that child. And they would walk around going, he's following me. He's a pedo. He's trying to, you know, take me away. And I'd have to kind of be like, you need to stop saying that. I'm here to support you and you know that. Now make sure we got past that. So that was step one. Um, obviously this child used to lash out a lot and was very um, anxious and very angry. A lot of times if the work was too hard or if he didn't win at something, he'd lash out and we had to work with that. And again, it was just at the end of the day having to tell him after the talks about his behaviour that I'm still happy with him, yeah. I'm okay. I'd have to make sure before I left every day, before he left every day, that we were on, you know, good terms because I didn't want him thinking that just because he's done something wrong that I was going to walk away from him. Um, is that typical over overthinking, see, though, isn't it? So you don't know what's happened in a child's mind during a school day for them to go home and overthink completely and then come in the next day assuming that you hate them. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, you could have told a child off for dropping a pencil or moving yeah. down the zone board. And if you don't, by the end of the day, go, you know, we're okay, everything's fine now, they might not want to come in the next day. We've had children like that. I've had a child refuse to come in because um, they got they got a, do- a dojo system in the school system that I used to work at. Um, so they're basically points. One of them lost one because of they were shouting out and they almost refused to come into school the next day because they thought, well, I got Todd off for shouting out and I don't want to get that done again. So, yeah. you know. It's very much about clean slates. That's a massive one. If anyone takes anything from today, clean slates, both at school or with your children in general. Don't go to bed on an argument. Don't send your child to their bedroom on an argument. Yeah. Go in, sort it out. We're the adults. Unfortunately, we will have to be the ones to fix it and make the first move. And if you can't do that, you need to sort of swallow your pride. And that's not me, you know, taking shots at anyone. But if you can't admit or get over what a child's done you need to sit and reflect on your own your own thought process because you know children are clever but they don't intentionally go around annoying adults yeah it's always a sign of behavior so if they're acting a certain way it's a sign of help it's a sign it's a survival of survival strategy yeah, exactly and again looking at attachment if these children don't have secure attachments they're acting that way either to push you away or to actually go i need help and i want care but i don't know how to Shall initiate it? it yeah yeah um, so I think that's massively important. And um, just to kind of touch on that child after he moved on to his next school, 
I gave him a goodbye bracelet, um, you know, to kind of keep him in his, keep me in his thoughts. And I had one the same as him. I brought me one, him one. Um, and actually two years down the line, this child came back into the school that we were working at um, to do some a music performance with some of his peers. And I actually clocked that he still had the bracelet on to that day, which was really nice. Um, and another one I think is important is endings, especially with children with attachment. So I'm just going to quickly touch on that child again. So as an ending... Yes, I did do the bracelet and the goodbyes and so forth. But um, when I was actually leaving that town and that school system, because the um, feeder schools were all interlinked, I had to go up to this child's middle school anyway. Um, and I went and, go and went and said goodbye to him and told him that I would probably be leaving this area and he probably wouldn't see me around again. And he asked me to go and play football with him and his um, friends one last time. And it was a really enjoyable day. And it was just a really good way of saying goodbye to someone who, you know, to him, obviously made a slight impact. You know, mm. I'm not tooting my own horn and I wouldn't say I changed his life, but for him to, after four years of not seeing me, to see me again and ask me to come and play football with him obviously shows there was something there. Yeah. Um, another child I worked with, uh, this is one I actually worked with for four years with the disorganised attachment. Extremely, extremely flippant behaviours, very disorganised attachment. Um, from day one, he would tell me, he hated me, he didn't want to be working with me, and I had to just bear it. Yeah. And as the years went by, you know, it obviously he became quite attached to me because I was that safe person. I'd, you know, I proved He'd like to him to that I'm not going anywhere, apart from on Sundays where, again, because he'd gotten so comfortable, he'd be like, right, time to test him again. And he would be like, I hate you, get away from me. Yeah. I don't know who you are. Um all this stuff and one day I kind of needed to do it for my own sanity when he told me to stop being in his class for a while I actually sat him down and was like I'm actually going to do what you've asked for a bit and change class and told him I'd be back but told him that he needed a bit of time from me and I needed a bit of time yeah. from him um this was all you know discussed with Senko and um the deputy head and the head teacher just to make sure that it was the right move you know but I needed it for my sanity as much as his own. I think, again, that's something that people forget is there's two people in an attachment and yeah. a bond and a relationship. At and least you two. Need, yeah, and you need to both be in the right place. So I did take some time away from this child, and it was actually three days later when this child had one of the worst outbursts they'd ever had, and it was only by chance I saw them coming past as they were going off on one. Um, so I went and sat them down and was like, what's the issue? And... <laughs> Their answer was, it's because you weren't there anymore and you left me and how dare you do that to me. And after trying to explain to them that I was never gone, um, in that state of mind, they didn't care. No. I was the reason it was their, you know, their tantrum, their kickoff. And it really affected me. So from that day, whenever they decided that they didn't want me around anymore, I'd just sit them down and go, but you know I need to be here. Yeah. And after a while, they kind of came around with it. But yeah, so definitely take time for yourself and discuss with, you know, supervision peers friends family that you need that time and you will have a bit of a you know it will be a bit of a mental strain on you but also you need to remind that child that you're there thick and thin yeah and again on their last day that that was one of the hardest days i've ever had and um, again i did an, another goodbye gift um 
but this child unfortunately didn't have the understanding that the other one did. Yeah. So this child was sure that they'd see me around again and I had to sit him down and be like, this is probably going to be it and I want to, you know, make sure that you're okay. And I gave them all the support and all the positivity I could and they did eventually come to terms that I will no longer be seeing them. And our goodbye was very quick and brief, but I think that's because we both understood that it was going to be a hard one to do. Um, so yeah, I think the morals there is goodbyes are key. Yeah. But also, you need to look after both of you in that yeah. sort of relationship. And if one of you is more emotionally intelligent, you also then need to be the one to take some time to yourself and talk to others. Just going through the psychology of what you were saying about the second um, child, it was, you know, it's clear that initially he was impacting upon his natural fight-or-flight symptoms. So going through, pushing you away, he was clearly a fighter. Yeah. Did not want anything that you were presenting to him. And then going forward, he... I've experienced this with in terms of relationships more than anything else, but it's it's actually quite relevant here that sometimes when people realise that they're comfortable in a situation that they weren't comfortable in ever, ever before, they go straight back to stage one and start kicking, fighting, screaming again. Absolutely, and that's what that child did. He went through phases of going, oh, you know, I've got this guy here. He's here for me. And he'd be like, but he's probably going to leave soon, so I better push him away before he can push me yeah, away. Yeah, trying to re- regain that control. Oh, yeah, and we went through that every two or three months. But yeah. I got to the point where I knew it, and I'd just call him out, and he'd be like, I know you're trying to push me away, but you're not going to. Yeah. And it, and it's, and it's slowed right down towards the end, um, but it was still tough to do. Yeah. Especially because I was a lot younger as well then, you know, I was only in my, like, late teens, early 20s, so dealing with that was something that was extremely hard, but... You know, it was very rewarding and, you know, if people want to ask any more questions about that, I'm more than happy to because, you know, the child went through a lot, but, you know, I don't, it's not something I want to openly discuss mm-hmm. on, on air, but they went through a lot and there was a reason why they didn't trust anyone. I mean, um, to cut it kind of, one of the examples is anyone who had a certain lanyard on that wasn't from our school, they would instantly think that person's a social worker there to take him away. Right. So, I mean, that kind of gives you an in- high, insight. High, high anxiety. Yeah, it gives you an insight on that his trust for people was just, there was non-existent. And I had to work hard to make sure that child trusted me. Yeah. But then as well, um, just finally, looking at um, younger people, you know, first schools, primary schools, depending on where you are in the UK, that's a long time. That's the longest time in a building or with adults that those children have ever ever had before you know between that's that's looking at about five to eight years of just seeing the same people the same faces same walls for the longest time they've never experienced that before so absolute closure is so important from when children are leaving their very first school they're going from to their next school it's it's so so important and I think sometimes it's so overlooked because of the stresses of sats and leave like getting the children out getting the new children in but it, it can be really really heart-wrenching for some children absolutely and I think 
again, in that final week of term, I think staff should start looking, and you know, this should be head teacher's cause, but I, I would definitely go for it. Staff should have that week where they just actually do goodbye based activities yeah. with the whole class because just because a child may not show that they're securely attached or you know have that attachment to you you going and not saying goodbye to them could absolutely destroy them yeah so i think you need to you know they should spend that week just being like we're going to write some cards we're going to write some notes to each other yeah anything you know something small a lot of the children i did it with i just did goodbye letters or you know had a picture of us together and you know wrote a note on the back and just been like you know i'll always believe in you and that means everything to some of them i still got gifts from the children that i left you know they've given me cards um some one of them gave me you know like a toy they found on the ground but it was something that they you know held dear so to me that's now the biggest important thing in the world so i think people need to you know keep that in mind And, and as parents i think it's really hard to juggle that almost telling them off and you know showing them the ropes but also been a solid attachment and you know we're not we're not faulting anyone and nobody's perfect but I think if parents can go more on the positive Mm -hmm. focus on the positive and then teach them how to behave in a different way that'd be great and you know like I said no one's perfect and we're not preaching and we're not judging no but the way we've worked in schools we've found that positivity overrides negativity every single day every time and just touching again this is something that I'm not sure if I discussed through training or university but it was a point that I thought was really important yet not really discussed in much detail to be quite honest the idea that as a society in the UK at present you know adults are expected to work long long hours and that actually does affect your children so oh yeah I agree so like the idea that some some adults can be out of the house by seven o'clock I mean you're not saying goodbye to children in the morning and can't sometimes be back home till at least eight o'clock on the evening I mean that's what I had I had with um dad number two I had them going out at six in the morning not coming back till 11 at night because of their high-end job so they come in and say goodnight but yeah. I was asleep. So you weren't going to see that. You weren't going to, you know, that's not going to kind yeah. of fill that void of, you know, someone not being there. And then as adults, the idea of juggling family life and the need to work. From a child's point of view, the, the fact that mum and dad aren't here, that they're not going to understand the ins and outs as to why. They're just going to know that they're not. So that's why potential weekends or holidays or any spare time that you get with them to just give them the most positive time that you that you can. Absolutely. I think verbalising it as well. I'm so happy to see you. Yeah. Oh, I've missed you so much. That stuff goes a long the way. So yeah. I don't think, you know, just going, oh, hey, how are you? It's not always enough, especially if you haven't seen someone in a while. Being like, oh, I so missed you. Or, Gosh, it's been a while and I've really missed you. I've thought about you whilst I've not been there. That, you know, that fills people up with confidence kind of moving on to that is like a secondary attachment yeah you know obviously I think as people have hopefully understood from my stories with them two children I definitely became a second attachment to these children and there's almost not a myth but secondary attachment is something that's not got a lot of research on I'm a big believer in it and I actually tried to look into it at uni but didn't get full pass on it really it's hard to kind of make a dissertation out of it 
but I fully believe this is in secondary attachments. You know, someone who's not a parent, a caregiver, can definitely become someone who you feel safe around if they present in the right way. Yeah. They're positive to you. They show that they care. They come back and, you know, consistently prove to you that they're going to be there no matter what. I think you can get secondary attachments. And I think you and me have both discussed this. But I think throughout my entire life, education-wise and now, I've had at least one person outside of my family who I've felt is a secondary attachment. Yeah. So I had my head teacher in my primary school who was very, um, you know, very caring to me, especially when I had a few instances, he'd make sure I was okay, you know, supported me throughout that. I had a BHSE teacher in high school, again, um, knew me very well, knew a lot of my ins and outs of going on back at home and so forth and was really good at keeping their eye on me, coming and checking on me. In college, I had my media teacher who, you know, pushed me to do what I want to do, believe in what I want to believe and, you know, enjoy what I've got. And, you know, he was a big influence on the way I work with children, actually, because he was so engaging and passionate, but also knew I had to have a laugh. And I think that's something that a lot of, you know, staff and people who work with children sometimes forget you can have a laugh with children yeah. and treat them like humans you know they're not drones they're not robots so I think that's something that was really important so yeah and then working my way up now obviously I've had peers at work and you know friends and you and people like that so it's you know I think secondary attachment is something that people should really think about and think about yourselves as you talk we're talking now who who's been there that you know isn't family but is maybe a friend a colleague um someone from school did they give you the secure need and love and care that maybe you didn't get from other people? Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, it's interesting because for some people, you could be seen as a secondary secondary attachment caregiver, but in reality, you're, you may be more of a primary one for them. Yeah. So it's just to have a very... I think what we're trying to highlight here is that to be very aware of who you are attached to as a person, but then who who also may be attached to you. Absolutely. And another thing, like, not, not to put a sort of downer on this, but attachments also means you'll be quite protective in a certain way, especially if you work closely with children. You've got to, again, as the adult, reflect on that. You know, I obviously when my child was getting tied up by the staff or was having an altercation with the children, I had to make sure that I stepped back and heard all sides of the story before discussing because you know I'd always be the one that has to go and then talk to them about what they've done so I have to make sure that I got everything all the notes all the right facts before I went in because otherwise part of me would be like well he's my one-to-one and I don't really want to tell them off I don't have to but you know you've got to play both sides but at the end of the day then you've got to go but don't worry I'm still here for you I'm still your guy you know I'm not abandoning you, I'm not mad at you, but we've got to discuss your behaviour. And again, it's about the positive-negative balance. Yeah. As they say, the positive sandwich, don't they? So yeah, absolutely. you're going to give a negative comment or discuss potentially a negative experience to sandwich it between two positivities. So that's something that you may be very aware of or maybe news to you, but it definitely works. I can tell you that. Yeah, for sure. Um. Uh, we know we've kind of waffled on a fair bit about that. So um, do you kind of want to go to the almost fan mail as such? Yeah, so um, 
quick pin in attachment we just want to say a massive thank you again for all the support that you've given us um we've had quite a few messages come through about different experiences with attachment and um people's own opinions and whatnot so we have permission to drop some names um which we will do however if you would rather us if you are wanting to get in contact in the future and don't want names that's not a problem we will ask and make sure that you are okay with anything to do with personalization so Dan over to you okay so the first one I've got is um someone called Phil on our Facebook page contacted us um and they decided that they wanted to talk about attachment in revolving around relationships so I'm just going to read what they've actually put and then we can, yeah, we can discuss. discuss it. So they put, just a thought, I'd say some words about attachment with respect to relationships when distance is involved. Hopefully my realisations can help others not make the same mistakes. Initially, you don't know how you're going to get handle the dis- distance. Um, extinct- instinctively, you want to try and catch them wherever possible. You want them to wait by the phone so that in the fleeing moments, they are free to have a spark of that previous fire. But actually... All this does is to lead to overthinking and resentment. The truth is, while they're not around, you can't have as much as of anything of them. When they're so busy that with whatever they're doing, their words might come across as impersonal, but your expectation for it might be more than what you're going to drive you both into the ground. It's not easy, but the best thing you can do is distance yourself from the relationship and fill your life with something else meaningful. Otherwise, you're just staring into empty space. Then when they return, you continue what was and continue to be a wonderful thing. Yeah thoughts i think i mean a lot of what uh phil said there is you know completely relevant and we're not gonna talk about the rights and wrongs of long distance relationships it's just having that awareness of you know the impacts on both yourself and your significant other if you are wanting to go into a long distance relationship yeah definitely i mean i don't mind personally spouting you know I had a previous relationship that eventually had to go long distance because of uni. You and me have both obviously had some time apart where I've had to work away. Yeah. Um, and, and it is very much about, like what Phil said, looking for things to kind of fill your time up with so you're not constantly waiting for the other person. Maybe you can pick and choose times to communicate with that person. That's what we did. Yeah. You know, have a time or a slot in the day where you know you're going to talk to that person where but it works stick around to it. yeah and it works around both your schedules but make sure that you're doing things that keep you preoccupied because he's totally right otherwise you are just going to be sat there waiting for that other person yeah. hoping they're going to talk to you and if they're busy you know doing the things they're doing they might not have time to message you or ring you and then that's when the overthinking like Phil said starts to happen you start going well maybe they don't care about yeah. it anymore maybe I'm not good enough Maybe they're not interested. Maybe they're cheating. You know, all these horrible yeah. thoughts start to run through you. Whereas really, the reality 90% of the time is... They have not just got busy. time, yeah. yeah. And that's something, you know, we had to discuss. And yeah. we, we found a way around it. And it was really positive. I also want your thoughts on this, Beth. But I think it's harder for the person who's not moved away... Yeah. ...over the person who has moved away. I, I will agree because I think... If you are remaining in the situation that you know, the town or wherever, you have almost less of a distraction because everything is normal and, you know, you, you remember places that you've been with them and they're, they're more prevalent in your mind. Whereas 
if you are the one that's moved away, you you have a lot to be learning again. You've got a lot to start afresh with. Um, and that's not afresh as in terms of a relationship, but where you are, like, relearning your boundaries, I suppose. Absolutely. I mean, I've been on both ends. I've been the person that's moved away and the person that's had to stay behind. How did you find it? Um, yeah, and I think that's why I kind of think it's harder being the person that stays behind. Because when I was the person that stayed behind, I was the one that would be going, I hope I get to see them soon. I hope everything's okay. I wonder what they're doing right now. Or even if I was doing stuff, again, like you said, because there was a familiarity of the town you're in, you'd be like, oh, yeah, we used to do that there. Yeah. Um, and because obviously you're trying to make it work, but keep your life, your life's pretty similar. You've then got to find new things to fill, whereas that person's doing a whole new thing. And yeah. that's when on the other side of it and been the one that moves away I was non-stop I had new things to fill I had to do all these things I was finding my feet all the time obviously we kept in contact as much as possible but I you know feel free to tell me I'm wrong but I bet you found it harder or almost clock watching more waiting for me to talk to you or you know you to uh, for me to reply to you yeah and I think though that was very clear on the days where say weekends where I didn't have specific plans it it was tough because you're so used to spending that time with your significant other and then all of a sudden it you're you're on your own it's kind of like oh okay absolutely um I think like like Phil said to be honest keeping yourself busy and appreciating that person when they are back is something that's going to help you through this you know, long distance relationships are not easy. And, you know, I don't blame people who have to separate. Sometimes it's not an easy thing to do. Depends on you and the other person on how hard you're willing to fight and sometimes take the batters because, you know, there are days where you both miss each other terribly, but no, you can't get back. And sometimes you have to either accept that or choose to stop it because it's too much. Um, Phil obviously hasn't told us how the relationship went from yeah. what I've gathered here I hope I'm not wrong it obviously it sounds too like it much yeah and it became a difficulty um which is a shame and I'm sorry to hear that but I do like the reflection that he's put on this you know about if they're not around you can't have them as much but expect to have them back soon and be yeah. ready to have them back be excited fill yourself with things to do so you're not feeling meaningless which again is another important one because just because they're doing things doesn't mean they don't mean anything to you yeah and, and also that the they're for you that they're not actually thinking about you um, yeah, absolutely but I hope you don't mind Dan if I mention this but one thing that we learned to cope well with and it was kind of my frustrations in in not being able to see you and and not being able to speak to you was the idea of phone calls um rather than texting yeah absolutely um texting is very impersonal and i think it's so easy to misread a text sometimes and obviously because you literally have a few words in front of you to create a mood off that it's it's so easily mismatched absolutely i mean thank god for facetime and, yeah. and stuff like that because you know Phone call is personal, but FaceTime, you know, it's as close as face-to-face as you're going to get sometimes on the distance front. So I think that's a really important one. Um, And again, thanks, Phil, for that. We thought we'd kind of touch on that one because it was a really, you know, 
heartfelt message. He was one of the first people to get in touch as well. So yeah, props to Phil, but please everyone else keep throwing your messages our way. Even if it's not regarding the topic of the week, we'll still come on to it. We'll, you know, we can separate segments. We want to try and get through as many people's messages as we can. So Beth, have you got one? Yeah, this is from, so this is healing from Twitter. Um, and it's just kind of saying that attachment wounds and attachment patterns that stem from childhood, you know, can affect our relationships in the future. Um, and just kind of discussing what we have said in the idea that you need to be aware of potential events or factors that have influenced you and kind of find out where you, you, you lie personally on, on the attachment scale and be able to understand and accept that to move forward with um, your own life and if you know your significant other we we're lucky enough to understand attachment theory but if your significant other is showing potential um issues yeah like personality traits of a specific attachment style you know they're not being needy they're not being rude they're not being um in like insensitive they are they are trying and it's just who they are and learning to work with that Absolutely. And just kind of on a flip-flop there, just because also someone's attachment, you know, has been labelled, doesn't mean you can use that as an excuse and neither can that person. No. It It's just an understanding and almost like a benchmark for you. If you understand that someone's got a certain attachment because of, you know, previous experiences, it's both of your jobs to work together with that. Yeah. And that includes children as well, especially with children, because they're not going to turn around and go, oh, sorry, my attachment's disorganized. <laughs> They're going to be the ones that are just like, I'm kicking off and I'm pushing you away. And that's when you need to be going, right, this is our attachment coming into play. We need to look at how to deal with this, you know, and work with that child. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of a pin on attachment for this week. We yeah. will revisit it if people want more. Thank you again so much for listening. Um, get in contact with any feedback. Continue to like and subscribe us. And Absolutely. Also, shout out to um, the Instagram page, buyathread.co. They're a mental health um, charity that make threads regarding each mental health illness. Um, so depression is one colour, eating disorders is another. Um, you know, anything you buy off that page, 50 or 70% goes to charity. I'll have to double check yeah. those facts. But um, yeah, shout out to them. And, you know, we've got bracelets on the way and hopefully you can purchase them too just showing your support i mean the bracelets themselves are absolutely beautiful and we're really excited to just get the message out and show our support for everybody who wants to get involved in any mental health um awareness so thank you again and stay tuned thank you thank you